0: Welcome to It's Personal, Not Just Business, with your host, Michael Fliegelman. In each episode, you'll learn lessons from other successful financial advisors and brokers.
1: You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on swanwealth.com. Now here's
0: the host of It's Personal, Not Just Business, Michael
1: Flegelman. Hi and welcome everybody. Today I am being joined by Mr. Jordan Albala from Metro DI. Jordan, welcome. I'm so happy that you you agreed to join us today. To our listeners, Jordan and his family run I don't know if it's a second or third generation firm that really focuses narrow and deep into one area of financial service and insurance planning. And that is disability income insurance. I have a real passion for it And I think it's such an important part of someone's financial plan. So Jordan, if you could, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background and journey that led to where you are today and a little bit about your history of your company and what you guys do
0: absolutely well first michael thank you for having me on the on the podcast a pleasure to be here with you and we've gone back a number and number of years and through many iterations of this industry and i know that you know my mom and my grandfather and so it's it's i i really have gotten to enjoy this industry and see people throughout many generations but a little bit about myself and our company my name is jordan albala I'm third generation disability general agent at Metro DI and we are a full service disability insurance brokerage agency specializing only in disability insurance products. And I got into the business in a bit of an interesting way. I graduated college in 2009. And as most of us remember, that was the crash of the real estate industry. And my hopes was to go into real estate and work for some type of real estate investor or developer. I've got an architect's degree. And when I graduated, unfortunately, I couldn't find a job at all in, in real estate. And so luckily, I had this family business that my grandfather and my mother had grown. And they said, hey, why don't you come try your hand in this insurance thing? And I thought immediately, absolutely not. There's no way I'm going into insurance. I've seen it was great. I saw the success of my parents and my grandparents. But I said, I just I want to do something different. I want to build something for myself. and." Well, that dream died basically the day after because I couldn't find a job. And the next thing I know, here I am 15 years later working in the insurance business. And I couldn't be happier with the decision. It's been a, a joy. I got to spend eight, almost eight years working with my grandfather before he unfortunately passed away in 2016. So getting to see the business from his perspective from my mom's perspective and then from my perspective now when my sister is in the business to take it on to the next level and, and see the iterations of how the business has grown, I think is really special and rare in this day and age. We don't really see too many multi-generational businesses, so uh, I couldn't be happier with, with where I've decided to land in this insurance industry.
1: Yeah, it's such a great story of family, your business. I, I recall meeting your grandfather some 20, 25 years ago in Shyasset, Long Island at your old offices. And I looked at him and I did a double take because he looks like a, a famous actor that was in a TV sitcom called what? What was it called? Do you know?
0: The Odd Couple. Walter the Odd Couple, guy. yes. Yeah.
1: Doo-doo, doo-doo, doo-doo. And there he is, happened. Jack Klugman. And Jack Klugman, it, it, and I, I can't be the first to say it. No. But he, he had to be the spitting image of Jack Klugman. And I was just like, wow, I'm meeting a, a movie star.
0: <laughs> yeah, we used to say there were long lost brothers.
1: <laughs> yeah, what a great story and what a great legacy that's been created over three generations. And, you know, when when some brokers that I work with have a disability case, very often I'm ending up calling you on it, calling Lorraine or, or members of your team. And you guys, the thing that I love about your, your team is you're... So focused on customer service and responding quickly. Like you are on it, you have answers, you know where to go when there are cases that are somewhat difficult to write, you know which carriers to uh, place that business with, and it makes my job trying to source these kind of cases that much easier so can you give us a little overview of you know how you do what you do and why you do what you do sure so metro di was started actually in
0: 1963 so we're actually having our 60th anniversary this year and we got into the business my where are we going was-
1: by the way where, where's the party
0: Oh, you'll have to ask the boss, Karen. My job is to just make sure your clients are serviced and have a great <laughs> experience buying disability insurance. 60 How is years, enough. Wow. You know? um, but, uh, yeah, so we were in our 60th year uh, of anniversary this year, and uh, we got started doing major medical with my grandfather, and that slowly moved over to doing uh, long-term care. And then in the early 1980s, he found a company called Mass Casualty, who's been long out of business, and they were selling this disability product, and he said that he had an idea that there was something special to this and this company. And he lined up with them and he started selling disability insurance to rank and file individuals in mostly hospitals. And he did that for a long time until my mom came in in the late 80s and they grew it up to a, a multi-million dollar a year producing agency. And in 1999, when mass casualty closed their doors, Unlike most of their competitors, which are, were all Provident Unum guys, which got tossed to the side of the road with nothing, my grandfather was smarter than all of them because he realized that his contract with Mass Casualty, he was vested. So he walked away with all his renewals for the next 20 plus years. Wow. And he also realized all those rank and file people who are working in hospitals, they're not retiring. So he realized the value of not only the right customer, but the right company. And uh, that's one thing I really always looked at him and said, okay, you know, this is the way we need to grow this business by utilizing the right companies, creating the right relationships with people, and then playing both sides, giving both sides what they want to make happiness. Because we do play, we do play the devil's advocate. We are on the side of the client, but we're also on the side of the insurance company, and we have to make both sides happy in order for both sides to. walk away feeling like they got what they wanted. You know, if we're putting all the wrong business to the wrong company, that's not going to look good. And if we're giving a client the wrong policy or the wrong carrier, that's not good either. So what grew out of what realizing how my grandfather built this business is realizing that it's about learning how to make both sides really happy. And, And when I came into the business, in 2009, they, my, my mom and, and my grandfather had really grown the relationships with the carriers by that point. But we really needed to take this kind of boutique service model to the next level. And that's when she, myself, and Lorraine, as you know, really started to look at, what the experience is like for the user and how can we make it a better experience for not only the broker but for the client because at that point mike i'm sure you remember in the late 2000s that was kind of the the down the, the most down time for disability insurance there was a lot of bad claims there was a the company's offering too much lifetime benefits and insurance companies weren't doing a good enough job underwriting so we saw a lot of a lot of a, a bad result happened in the late 2000s and that resulted in advisors not wanting to write disability insurance or giving up because it had gotten too hard. Sure. And so we had to really revamp what we did and rethink how we can make the user experience better for the advisor because we need the advisor to sell the client so that we can all be successful. If we can't, don't have clients, we don't have advisors, we don't have anything in this business
1: absolutely you know the name of the podcast is it's personal not just business and you you hit on one of the key one of the key value propositions that i always talk about and that is a win win and a win win has to exist in order for business to be done and in the role of a uh, a disability general agent you serve two two parties you serve those clients the brokers and the clients of the brokers. And you also serve the companies by giving them good business. And in order for that to be strong foundationally, it has to win for both of them. And I know that you guys do a great job in doing that. Quick on proposals to the broker and being very diligent in full disclosures of medical issues to the underwriters so they quickly can assess whether they're going to be interested in a case so you can get back to that broker quickly. And you guys do such a great job of knowing, you know, if somebody has condition A or condition B, which would be the best carrier to submit that business to, which will allow your client to get the approval that you need, which has the best discount, which has the best uh, definition for the occupation. Share with us a little bit about the various carriers that your agency represents, Jordan. Sure, yeah.
0: So what I like to tell people is that we have a product, a disability solution or an income protection solution for everyone. It doesn't matter what their occupation is. For advisors, I like to ask two questions to your client in determining disability. There's two questions I've developed over the years, and these two questions I think every advisor should take away from this discussion and utilize from the from, from here on out. And the first question, Michael, is do you work because you have to, or do you work because you want to? Okay, that's the first one, because we're determining, we already know the reality is 99.999% of people are working because they have to. Very few of us are financially secure to the point that we can retire today and have all the money we need to do, all the things we want throughout our entire retirement. So we've established that these people are working because they have to. Now the second question is, what would you do if you were sick or hurt and couldn't work? I mean, there's no better marketer in this business than who? The Aflac duck, Right. That duck does a better job for all of us. I only wish, Mike, that our companies, all of us included here, did as good a job marketing disability insurance as that duck. But the reality is that duck is all we've got right now. And it's upsetting and disappointing Mm -hmm. because we work with companies, Michael, that have tremendous capabilities to market, but yet we allow the duck to be our main marketer.
1: You know, the duck is close to the goose, though. And, you know, the the great analogy that I learned many years ago, and I'm sure you're aware of, is which do you insure, the goose or the golden egg? Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to financial planning, everybody has their golden eggs, their cars, their homes, their boats, their art, their jewelry insured. But yes. what's creating that is the goose. And that oh, yeah. often is the Achilles heel of a financial plan. You know, I was at a conference and this very esteemed presenter from some bank was asked, what do you think is the most important thing for a young professional to do? And to my shock, she said, protect their income.
0: Wow, uh, you don't hear that ever.
1: You really don't. But it was a really, really learned CEO type level person who had great insight because they understand that more homes are lost due to the disability of a breadwinner than any single other reason. Yet, if you ask the average person that is your client, whether they have disability insurance, they give you this look like, I think yep. so, because it says NYS DBL on their paycheck and they think, oh, I'm covered by the state or I know that Social Security provides disability. So this is an area, in my opinion, that is often misunderstood and becomes the potential Achilles heel to the entire financial engine that drives people's wealth and that is protecting their income. And a lot of times people make the assumption that they have adequate coverage because they may have a small group long-term disability policy.
0: They may have a big long-term group policy and it may be taxable, Mike.
1: Absolutely. So I wanted you to to share a little bit about some of the mistakes that you've seen over your career and what an advisor and a consumer should be aware of when they're looking at protecting their most valuable asset.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, it's the most valuable asset. It is your richest asset by leaps and bounds. You will make more money in your occupation than anything you earn or you inherited or you've grown in in, in, in uh, appreciating assets will ever be. So why are we not insuring our greatest asset? Uh, it's, a, it's a question that to this day, I think we're all scratching our heads why it hasn't taken off like some other types of insurances. But nevertheless, there are some definite pitfalls of places I found where people say, oh, I'm adequately covered. And I think the biggest one that you mentioned nowadays is where employers provide group insurance. And people say, oh, I have group insurance from my employer. Oh, I have 10,000 a group. Well, you only made $150,000. So you don't have 10,000 a group because it's 60% and it's taxable. So what you're really left with is not a whole lot. And I think that... Uh, having the ability to understand that just because someone says I have something doesn't mean that's the reason for you as an advisor to stop. It's a reason for you to ask more questions, in fact, because if someone doesn't have anything, then the, the, the conversation goes right to we need to fix that. But if the question is, yes, I have something, that's where you have to be more of a investigator and find out what it is and what kind of quality is it. Is it adequate enough? If you bought a policy 10 years ago, is it gonna be good enough for your income today? Probably not. But the bigger thing, Michael, is that in insurance, and I say this as a, a 37-year-old man, and I'm I'm single, I I I own a car outright, I have I rent an, an apartment, I uh, I look at the need in terms of dollars spent in insurance. And as a disability guy, this is going to come out, you know, weighted towards disability insurance. But I'm, you know, I like to look at not only the generation that's mostly got insurance, but I'm really more interested in the generation that is about to come into play of needing to buy insurance. And I'm talking about the people turning 30 years old today. That are getting jobs and the reality is those are our next rounds of clients so we need to figure out how do we address and 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 connect with this generation of people that is a very different generation than we've ever experienced and how is it different is that 30 year old more first of all more females than ever in the executive and high-end working world more than ever, are they not married without kids? And so, again, only furthers the need for what do you put your first dollar in in terms of insurance spent? Less than ever, it's life insurance is less important in a first dollar in necessity for most of these young people because they're not married with kids at 30 years old like they used to be. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree. You know, foundationally, for a single person starting out who's got a good income, you know, first thing is protect that asset. And, you know, I got a friend of mine who does very large medical malpractice insurance. And if someone becomes disabled due to the the negligence of, let's say, a physician, or anyone for that matter, an accident, when these cases are litigated, they're litigated in a way where they create a model of the future earnings that that individual would have had and that creates this very large large basis for the lawsuit so if someone's making you know $500,000 a year and they're 35 years old and they're going to work for the next 30 years 500 times 30 years is $15 million that is the beginning of a lawsuit in a wrongful action against someone because they would lose that $15 million of income. Well, imagine if you became sick and it was not due to negligence, what are you relying on to bring into you and your family? That $15 million, and that is good disability income insurance, with a non-cancelable guaranteed renewable policy, meaning the rates can't go up, they can never be dropped. I'm curious as to who are the big purchasers and why they are the big purchasers of disability income insurance, Jordan.
0: Yeah so it's funny. So you know, historically, Michael, we know that that anybody in the in the field of medicine has been a big purchaser of DI. The need is right there. They're kind of at this point, they're even trained to need it and know they need it by the time they're in residency. Uh, They're chased after by lots of advisors who are pushing them to buy it. Their teachers are telling them to buy it. So more than ever, it's it's the medical industry. But I think where we're really starting to see increases in DI being purchased is some of these professions where I think we didn't used to see them before a lot of people and it's partially because I think the need is out there more partially I think is because we're seeing the younger generation, the millennials and the Gen Z's and stuff not being married with kids and having these big giant incomes. But I think the other reason is because the insurance companies are much better now at understanding and writing some of these occupations. And the big one is people in finance and in financial services, insurance agents, financial advisors, investment advisors, people who work in hedge funds, private equity funds, venture capitalists, all these types of worlds where income has been historically volatile, even, even real estate brokers, they were kind of all hated back in the day and now I mean, we're selling real estate brokers and insurance agents and private equity people $30,000, $35,000 a month because the insurance companies have gotten more used to underwriting and understanding. And I think that's where them having the ability to utilize AI has really given them the edge and being able to understand where they can be competitive and where they can't. And it's allowed them to push themselves. Like, for example, when I first came into this business, the most you could buy was $15,000. And now here, 14 years later, 14 years and change, and we're now up to 35,000 will sell each one person on a policy. So, you know, the industry is forever evolving, and it's really forever evolving in a pendulum sense in terms of the medical underwriting. I think that's really where things differ in understanding the differences in carriers, because... Whether I like to say I believe, I'm believe i agreeing with it or not, this industry has become so commoditized. And what I mean by that is the products have really become apples to apples. The differences between the products are nearly identical. The definitions between the uh, mass and a principle, and a standard, and a guardian, they're identical. Any little differences, we're pulling hairs. They're all giving you the bells and whistles, the true or not, the enhanced residuals, the 3% compounded colas, non the features, option for full mental nerves all these things have been commoditized. It's really now about understanding and what these insurance companies are able to do because they have so many years of historical data. They can say, okay, for this occupation, we can be really aggressive because we have historical data that shows that, you know, men between the ages of 30 and 45 who are architects are a great bid for us. So we can drop the premium for them versus, you know, we've noticed that, Men over the age of 45 who are architects who buy a policy are a bad risk for us. So we're going to raise the rate for them. Nice. So they have the ability to become more competitive in certain places. And and what I mean by that is it's rather than in days of old, Mike, where we've seen product differences that determined Compatibility in clients, whereas like in days of old, there were only some companies that offered ONOC to doctors and not others, and some company offered Full Mental Nervous to doctors and not others, and these kinds of things. Now they're all offering the same gig. It comes down to the price, which is why, whether like it or not, it's become so commoditized.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear you, Jordan. I, I I understand your comment about commoditization, but I, I, I want to push back a little bit on that a little bit, because I think in the world of understanding what is available, like for instance, I know one carrier doesn't offer buy-sell disability in certain states, sure. and knowing where to go, that is, you know, that's the the magic, the special sauce, if you will. Having someone like yourself who has knowledge of, okay, you you can't get that in this state with this company. Yes. So we're going to go here. Here are the two or three carriers that could insure you for a disability buy-sell in California, for instance, where I know one major carrier, they won't sell in California that particular product. But if I called you, boom, you would know where to go with it. At least that's what I see as a real value proposition.
0: I think that my comment on commoditization really comes from say, you're going to insure a 30 year old male internal medicine physician in the state of Georgia that's a compact state the contracts between all of them were pulling minor minor hairs that I might argue that those hairs are probably not worth the difference of whichever carrier comes out the least expensive but you are correct that when it comes to understanding some of what I like to call the ancillary income protection solutions that's outside of the standardized individual DI product Understanding that world, and I think that's where, where advisors can really take their their portfolio and their programmed approach to the next level, is understanding how to utilize those products. And that's yeah, I, where...
1: I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: That's where them knowing to use you, yourself and myself as a team is really going to help them because those products are complicated. They're not easy to sell. And knowing when to use them and where to use them is very difficult. And that's where I say to advisors, that's the point where you call Michael, call myself, and you bring us in to help you navigate that because it's not a commoditized product. It's not a commoditized world. Everything yeah. that is disability, overhead expense, buy-sell, loan protections, key person disability. And then the big one, you know, is the guarantee issue, Michael. There's so much business to be had in that small market, small business owner market This is where advisors really need to be calling us up with the information saying, this is what our clients do. What can we do for them? And that's where you and I as a team go to work and put together a portfolio of options Mm -hmm. and not all the options are applicable to every client, but that's where we're going to approach you with a portfolio and say, here's the options we need to figure out which one is appropriate for this client.
1: And and mm-hmm. I, I know over the years, you guys have done a phenomenal job in turning a world of, you know, spreadsheet and commodity into a value proposition of cutting through all of the analysis and paralysis of the spreadsheet and saying, well, all this is great. They're all pretty similar. But here's the reason why you should go with company A or company B. And that is the the magic or the special sauce that I think makes your company so valuable to people like myself, who are looking to find the right fit, the right product.
0: Jordan, if you- well, could, Mike, sh- look, look at how often we take a, a case and move it from one carrier to the other, whether we move it from mass mutual to another carrier, or we move it from another carrier to mass mutual or vice versa. Because when we get those medical records, it's never what we heard from prior to, to when we were talking to the client and so that I find is is where your and my value as a team to an advisor really separates us because we get all the apss so every time I get an offer I read the medical records and if I disagree with the medical records I'm gonna to go to the underwriter and fight with them I don't know many general agents who read all their their clients medical records wow. I don't know I don't know any general agents who get the medical records to begin with but That's because I just I I invest the time into it because I know that if I do the right thing and we get the right product to that person, there's no way that there's anything better out there. And well, that's you really must have
1: the biggest... some great eyesight because reading medical records is very hard. To read the, you know, I guess more medical records are now electronic and, uh, yes. you know, and computers. But I remember over the years trying to read doctors' APSs that were handwritten, and my God.
0: <laughs> well, you got to remember also, Michael. We're now in a world where insurance companies are doing different things than they used to, and what I mean by that is they're pulling script checks, they're pulling health insurance records, and most importantly, they're pulling human API, and they're having these APS's summarized oftentimes by in other countries, India a lot of times. So what we get back in those summaries doesn't always line up, and I disagree with a lot of it, especially when it comes to mental nervous. I think their interpretation that they make outside of the United States when they summarize some of these records, like it or not, it's what the insurance companies are doing, I think they mis- misinterpret the records because they're not living in the United States. And then it becomes a discussion that I have in, in basically, you know, an argumentative battle with the underwriter to get what I want. And I usually don't quit until I get what I want.
1: Well, that kind of advocacy is why we have worked together for some 30 years or so. I, you know, wanted to ask you if you could share with the audience a little bit about how they could reach you, the name of your company, your website. Sure. And maybe you could conclude with if there's any specific message or idea you'd like to convey to people who might be listening.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I definitely, the best way to get in touch with me, Mike, is probably to have them contact you. That would probably be the, the most efficient way is anybody who needs help with disability insurance, they're probably already speaking to you anyway. And and you and I have such a great working relationship you, with my team, you know that, when you come to us, first off, if Mass Mutual is the right place, we always tell you that. But nine times out of ten, you're coming to us because you know you need a different solution than what Mass can bring you. Because, I mean, you're you're very smart. You've been in this business for way way longer than me at this point. So I almost don't even need to tell you, hey, you know, this one's not right for Mass. You already know. Yeah,
1: absolutely, um, they're not going to be all things to all people no, all the time. No, there is um, no
0: one company that does it all, and. And that's why we have companies that write things that are outside of just the quote-unquote white-collar preferred clientele. We have contracts for blue-collar individuals. We have contracts for specialty individuals. We have substandard contracts for people who aren't quite healthy enough. So we have a policy for everyone. So my takeaway to everyone who is listening on this podcast is that if you are in financial services of any kind, and it doesn't matter if you're an investment advisor or you're an insurance person and you have a license to sell this stuff, first of all, if you're not selling it, I can promise you somebody else is. So somebody else is making money off your client that you have spent time working to build a relationship with. And number two, I have a contract for every single clientele. So it doesn't matter what they do for a living. We can provide income protection. And like I mentioned in those two questions and I'll bring them up one more time. Do you work because you have to, or do you work because you want to? And the second question is what would you do if you were sick or hurt and can't work? I really, really love to use those questions. And oftentimes when I'm selling policies, I will ask those questions to determine if a client needs this. And it's a great way to ask someone questions without utilizing the word, sell you insurance.
1: Excellent. Awesome. Jordan, I wanted to thank you um, and your entire team for the years that we've worked together. You're a pleasure to work with. I thank you for your business. I thank you for the relationship. I thank you for your support and your tremendous uh, attention to detail and quick responses that you, your team provide all the time. Wish you peace and health, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us today.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure always speaking and look forward to seeing you again when I'm up in New York. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. You've been tuning into It's Personal, Not Just Business with your host, Michael Fliegelman. Each episode features role models and lessons from other successful financial advisors and brokers. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments questions and for sharing this
1: show with others.